Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Alex. And this is Connor. Welcome to the Sales Engineering Podcast. We are really excited to bring on Liz Rashke, Head of North America Sales Engineering at the Google Marketing Platform. In this episode, we'll talk about the qualities of a great sales engineering manager. Liz also walks through how SEs are leveraged on the Google Marketing Platform, as well as what she does to build trust in her team. It's very clear that Liz has approached developing her teams with intentionality and care and in a way that drives a very strong culture. We couldn't be more excited to have this conversation with her, so get ready to learn from an inspiring SEU leader. Welcome to the Edge of Sales Engineering. Hey Liz, welcome to the podcast, welcome to the show. Thanks Alex, thanks Connor, happy to be here. Yeah, we're, we're super excited to have you on Liz. Yeah, no, very, very excited. So uh, for, for those listening, why don't you tell us a bit about who you are and your path to the SE role? Oh, great question. Okay, so let's see. Starting a little bit back in time, I was on the tech um, customer service side of the house. So for anyone who's ever seen that Vince Vaughn, Owen Wilson movie, I think it's called the internship where they're mm -hmm. in that crazy competition and there's like, call after call to the customer hotline. I started on that job and then worked to do customer service for the Google marketing platform product. And then the reorg aligned me into being a sales engineer as an individual contributor. And then the, the pathway that got me into managing my, my the former team that was, that I was on was my old boss actually quit to take a new role within Google. So I then applied to be his backfill, and that's how I found myself here. So it's been, I think, just about four years now since managing the team. And in that time, the Google marketing platform kind of launched itself. So it's been a really fun journey, um, picking up new products and new people and um, kind of new industries along the way. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, exactly like you said, a very fortuitous reorg. <laughs> And so yeah. it, you know, during, during all of this growth and all of your time at Google, what is one of the biggest professional setbacks you've had on your journey? Yeah. Um, let's see. So when I, I worked, I did like a three month rotation. Google is a fantastic company for many reasons, but one of them was how they really support internal mobility and geographical mobility the right phrase the role the only role that was open at the time was the pre-sales or sales engineer consultant role and i really wanted to stay on the team i fell in love with google analytics and so i applied for the job um and i i did not get it because mm. they didn't think i was ready yet and at my career to go in front of a customer fair enough mm. um and so the first time i ever applied for an se job i got rejected so um stuck with it and and it turned out to be okay but i do remember that exact moment exactly where i was exactly who i was with when i read uh that i was not quite yet ready to be a true sales engineer yeah no uh thanks for sharing that i, I know in the moment that can be pretty heavy and, and tough to to 
to, to handle or to hear. What do you think drove you to continue kind of moving forward and push through that? Yeah, I, you know, I think one of the things, geez, I must have been 26 or something at the time. So fairly new in my career. And I think I was in my sad rejection, fairly grateful and said, hey, like, I really appreciate the opportunity. I would still love any job that comes up in this department. Um, and so I worked with that hiring manager to say, just think of me um, if something comes up. And so I stayed in touch uh, over the next maybe month or so. And then they had a, a new role in the organization pop up and they, they actually did think of me. So I would say what, I don't know, what drove me was mostly I, I really loved the people in the department and I really loved the, the functional role that I was applying or that I ended up taking. Um, and one tip I think I would have is when you don't get that dream job that you want, just to keep the network alive and be really graceful and see if you can keep building um, like work opportunities with that team you're trying to join so that maybe when the next door opens, you're in that short list for them to think of. Wow. That, that's awesome. So was it the hiring manager that reached back out to you after you kept that, that network? I'm seeing you yeah. shake your, your head on the zoom. That's, that's awesome. Um, and something that I don't think a lot of people consider, right. Uh, when someone like essentially sends a rejection letter, like, Hey, like you're, you're, you have some of the great qualities, but just not at this moment, let's stay in touch. People are genuine when they mean stay in touch. And uh, it sounds like you, you took advantage of that. I, uh, I want to jump into some of the core discussion for the episode today. And so Liz, we're going to be talking about how you think about managing SEs and great teams, what specifically makes a great SE manager. So jumping into the first part of the episode, let's talk a little bit more about managing SEs and to level set for our listeners. How does Google actually leverage SEs today? And what is that role? What's the overall landscape uh, specifically at Google today? Yeah, not surprisingly, Google's a pretty big company and we <laughs> have so many different functional orgs and departments that um, the sales engineering role at Google really appears differently depending on what product set or functional organization you're looking at. So. Mm -hmm. Um, for, for example, we have a, t a huge, amazing, vibrant sales engineering culture and community on our cloud side of the house. Um, I think that is set up in a really typical tech sales and sales engineering structure. On Google Marketing Platform, we do it a little bit differently and a little more, um, I would say, I guess, scaled. So. Um, by that, I, I'm referring mostly to like the AE to SE ratio and some of the ways we actually functionally operate. But anyway, um, how does it show up for Google Marketing Platform? A lot of these are going to sound really similar, I'm sure, to you guys, Alex and Connor, but helping our customers architect and sort of design uh, unique solutions that blend their tech solutions with our Google marketing platform solutions mm -hmm. with the, the mm -hmm. joint goal to hopefully drive whatever business objective they're trying to, to drive. And we have uh, expertise across our product portfolio, which includes 
some ad tech prod products like Campaign Manager, Display and Video 360, Studio, some previously known as the, the Google Analytics 360 Suite products, so tag management, A-B testing, site analytics, and then more recently, we've taken on products into our portfolio that touch into the cloud space. So how can we use um, cloud and some of our, our specific cloud um, data warehousing functionality to drive more sophisticated marketing results? With that, I would say like the, the similarities that I see whenever I talk to any non-Google sales engineer would be bringing industry expertise, knowing how data moves in and out of platforms, um, connecting your platforms to customers' platforms, and then, of course, doing that all while being a presenter and making it interesting and making it simple. So yeah. that's probably a long answer, but that's how it shows up for us in the world of GMP. Yeah, and it, it sounds like there's a lot of unique pieces about Google marketing platforms specifically, right? Like, to your point, there's there's a scale aspect. There's this AE to SE ratio that, that might be different in, in some of these functional pieces. So... Uh, would love to know just a little bit more details about how specifically that's set up. How how are you thinking about scaling? What what is that AD, AE to SE ratio? Yeah, um, that is. I mean, this is a challenging question. So, um, I would say a few things that we've done to tackle what I think is a really almost impossible quest is <laughs> okay, like two things. First, we have a really hidden major and minor structure. So we don't have specialist sales engineers the way I've seen at other tech uh, staff companies. So mm -hmm. we have to cover it all. And I don't, I firmly don't believe that's possible or reasonable to ask a human being. So we do have a hidden major, minor or subject matter expertise amongst ourselves so that let's say I'm the, um, the major for Google Analytics and my client is asking me some crazy questions about studio that I don't know the answer to, mm -hmm. I'll tap my quote specialist sales engineer who's actually just a teammate of mine, which I think as a manager opens up a lot of really good career opportunity to be a specialist and drive innovation in that area where you can feel ownership um, and responsibility toward. So okay. there's some positives to that as well. And then similarly with, with scales, um, operating at scale and touching a lot of sales, sales people, um, I think some of the challenge of that is we, we don't have assigned reps, for example. So you, you can't easily build a relationship with all of our sales reps because it's a roulette. Right. Um, but on the positive side of the house, you get to see and experience like tons of different sales types because every salesperson does it slightly differently. So you really get a broad um, I don't know, perspective across different business types, different verticals, but also you, you get to see how one awesome sales engineer approached this challenge and then open it up to coaching maybe a newer salesperson who can benefit from you connecting those dots together. It's clear just from even these couple of quick questions, how many moving parts there are. Uh, you talked about all of the different products that you might have to cover and then all of the different dynamics with, with AEs. So just quickly, kind of at a high level, how do you define success for your SE team? Or, or what, is, what are the top two, maybe three metrics 
that you look at when you're trying to measure the health of the SE team? Yeah, I think if I'm if I'm talking the team at large would be our request volume. Um, do people want to use us? Because we're an optional resource. We are not a required resource. So oh. um, if you, let's say there's like a, we, I cut this by sector and by like pod of, of AEs. If there's a pod or a group where maybe we're not being used so often, I think that's a mm -hmm. sign that perhaps we need to be more relevant for that team or mm -hmm. do some marketing with that team. So I think overall health would be growth and geez, it sounds like a high school, like popularity contest, but trying to make sure we're <laughs> staying ahead of the game and providing resources that those salespeople want to use. Um, and then that's one, that's probably the biggest metric. I would also say um, from there, we would measure stuff like revenue and impact on the client's goals. But one of the things I think that builds a healthy sales engineering team is some of the innovation and um, new new ideas and new thought leadership that we're pushing out to the market. And I'm sure Alex and Connor, you guys uh, see this too, but like a sales engineer gets such unique perspective, they can solve a hundred problems. So yeah. pick, the, pick the three, pick the one, the two that you want to solve and hopefully have um, the biggest bang for your buck and then measure that that throughput and how maybe we're changing and in a big way or a small way the direction of the overall business with some of that unique uh i would say like innovation we're putting out to our team wow those those are some really interesting metrics i think you touched on a couple that are probably more common but Shifting gears to the second part of the episode topic, really the, the, the meat and core of the episode is, is qualities of a great SE manager. So why don't we start out by just defining a, a couple of the qualities uh, that you see or that are required to be a great SE manager and sharing any insights around if you think there's anything that makes managing SEs unique. Yeah, I think, all right, so I, I promise I'll get to unique to sales engineering answers, but I would be remiss <laughs> if I didn't if I didn't answer this question with what should properly be the right answer. But to be sure. a good people manager, I think it comes down to two different areas: your your people and your business. Um, and for people, that can be like focusing on doing a great job recruiting and hiring just really giving the new people an amazing welcome and training experience versus just plopping them into the company. Um, definitely day-to-day -day performance coaching um, and promoting the, the right people. But for me, one of the things I'd love to talk more about because it's super important to me is building a great, vibrant team culture, getting hopefully really high team morale and fostering um, true psychological safety because I, I, I really think culture drives business results, um, wow. which I guess takes me to, to the business side. I mean, role, what makes a good manager um, besides hitting your goals, of course. Uh, for me, I think the two things that I like to bring to the table would be anticipating some of the market moves so that our team can stay stay like a quarter ahead of the game 
And that way, when the client asks the AE, our team is ready. We've, we've thought about it. We've studied. We've trained our, ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we're ready to provide that relevant support. Um, and then secondly, um, at Google, being such a big company, um, really, I like to bring and offer my people network to my team so that we can be brought in and tapped by the right people. And then if, if someone on my team wants to pursue maybe a passion of theirs or a new career, like it's my job as a manager to help them connect with the right people. Um, and part of that is maintaining my network so that I know what's going on in the, the big world of Google so that I can help my team move forward in their careers. Yeah, well, you, you talked about so many things that are so interesting in that, to, if being honest, I haven't heard talked about that much in, in being a, a great manager, SE manager. The first was your emphasis on culture and psychological safety. What are some of the things you do to, uh, to build that as a manager um, and ultimately leading to, to better business results? And then the second is keeping your network open. I'd love to learn, like, it's very easy to just become... Uh, set in your way and the people you know and those connections but how do you continue to meet new people and continue keep that network internally uh, thriving yeah yeah building good culture it seems like it doesn't have a true like formula does it Mm -mm. if it does please please contact me and let me know Um, (laughs) a few things um this is in no order. I, I, this is a, such a challenging question, but I think first of all, you do need to, to pay tons of attention to hiring. I think that's that's the most important step is getting the right people in, in place um, and making sure that these people are, are team oriented and also really bring a diverse background of, of experience to the table so that they can all learn from each other. Um, and then equally important, once you have assembled the right crew and the right team is, is I would say like two things is first fostering that culture of sharing and helping each other. We are on a team share quota, so that definitely helps from an incentive standpoint, but um, it would be things like, Hey, if I'm doing a deal and this narrative really stuck, I'm, my first reflex is to share that with the rest of the team. And equally importantly is, if I did something and it just totally flopped, um, sharing that flop and that failure so that the rest of the group can learn from that, I think is that, that sort of sharing aspect is super important to me. And then finally, my team would, uh, if anyone ever possibly listens to this, which I hope they all do, they would. Um, there are going to be lots of listeners. Say, <laughs> they, yeah, they would expect me to definitely talk about fun. Um, I love having fun at the office and so doing things like like of course off sites which is tough to do right now but goofing around playing games playing trivia this friday a guy on my team is organizing a virtual wine tasting with a sommelier so we're really excited about that just just that fun stuff where you can make it seem like hey i actually want to come into the office today and i want to hang out with my group of sales engineering coworkers. i think that that community vibe really builds the culture I'm looking for. Wow, those were all incredible. I I know uh, 
I know I want to bring more, even, even though I'm, I'm not a, currently a manager, but even just as, as a peer, those all sound like things I want to bring more and more of to, into the office. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. The, all those things do lead to uh, just better culture. And, uh, and like you said, like strong culture can drive business results. Yeah. So moving, moving on from, from that question, we talked about uh, defining what a manager does and, and things they need to pay attention to, but there are so many things you could give your time to in a day. How do you start to prioritize your day-to-day -day and, and what you should focus on, considering that there are probably always you know, twice as many things as you could do in a day? Yeah, yeah, I think that that is a great question for all sales engineers, like individual sales engineers and managers as well. Like you could really do a lot at the company and you have to be intentional about how you spend your time. To be honest, I'm probably not a great role model for this one. So you, you guys told me to tell the truth, so here you go. Um, I, find, I think that I'm like pretty reactive. Um, probably 90% of my week I'm pretty reactive. And I think, you know, look, honestly, everyone's a sales engineer here. This, this is like our day, right? Oh, meeting pops up in two days. I'm going to have to drop everything and build the content out and, and prepare for it. So we're, we're sort of used to hard deadlines. And so as a manager, when there's no more hard deadlines anymore, I need to, I guess, upgrade my operating system. Um, but okay, I'll answer the question, Alex. I think you have to set some kind of goals for yourself and you, you, for me, I block time on calendar for work time. Um, if I really need to get something done, that's definitely what I'll do. And the way that I prioritize things is most importantly, like what do what does my team need? Let's take care of the basics. It's like what's getting in their way? What do they need to succeed? And that's always going to come first. Yeah. Um, and then from there, I think it would be the the making relationships outside of my immediate team so that it can pay results later down the road for for my immediate group. I, I like that a lot. Um, it it's like that balance of making sure that you are removing blockers for your team so that they can be successful as individuals, but also still trying to focus on making sure that you're building the relationships and connections with the greater organization so that further down the line, um, you, you can have those connections. I, I like that a lot. Um, I was curi curious in learning more a little bit about trust, which is a key part of any greater relationship. And so there, there's these two different perspectives that, that we can talk about trust from. One is like from the individual contributor perspective, how can ICs or individual contributors build more trust with their managers? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the like Wikipedia definition of trust, but I would I would say it's super similar to whatever that definition would be. Yeah. Which, by the way, for a funny joke, I have a story about Wikipedia of, and the definition of sales engineer in Wikipedia. I, I actually read that article. Uh, anyway, let's um, hear it. So, I'm so ready for this joke. I think this might be the first sales <laughs> engineering joke on the podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys. Prepare to be excited about this one. It's a killer joke. So um, in 2018, I pulled a screenshot of the Wikipedia article because I was laughing so hard about it. 
it was like, what is a sales engineer? And as you probably well know, it's not a, like a crazy understood field. So I was pretty happy to see this Wikipedia article existed. Nice. And anyway, it had a it had a pretty spot on definition. And then the last sentence was like super out of the blue. It said, you will, you will know a sales engineer because they'll be sitting at the lobby of the hotel bar drinking a double. <laughs> yeah. This was on the official Wikipedia page for sales engineering. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I checked in on it and they recently took it down. So I, I might have to, after this podcast, request that it get brought back up. But I do have yeah. a screenshot so I can prove that we are drinking doubles. <laughs> I mean, I would love the um, screenshot. We'll definitely share it. Yeah. yeah if there, yeah. there are any uh, part-time Wikipedia editors out there, you you know what to do. So. <laughs> totally, totally. Everyone knows that feeling after you traveled and did a big demo or big whiteboarding, and you've been on stage basically, getting hammered with questions, and then you need to go back and chill. And that is one way I found myself doing it. But anyway, okay, tr uh, trust is is probably the basics. Like, admit if you don't know the answer. Ad flag it early if you need help. For me, flag it early if you think this deal is about to go off the rails. I love when my team does that. Um, yeah. They're really good about it. And then be accountable. Like, if you say you're going to do something, do it. And it's totally fine if the timing slips. Just let me know. And that's usually not a problem at all. But I would say the same goes for building, for me as my manager, being building trust with my team. Um, but I would say for, for anyone who's a manager or aspiring to be one, a few extra things then will, will apply to you, which is accept the fact that you are no longer a super sales engineer and you are no longer the, the product expert. So tap your team's expertise. If my, if my boss asked me for something, I know, it's, it's usually my job to just find the person who can answer it and connect them directly and let them have that experience and let them build that network. So tap the team's expertise, be super transparent on decision-making processes. Um, I, I would always say err on the side of, of being too transparent, um, bring them into the decision-making process when that makes sense or when it's a, a a big decision or one that will heavily impact them as, as much as you can try to bring them in. Um, but yeah, but be super clear and super transparent on stuff like that. And then lastly, like total no brainer, but don't, don't um, take credit for their work and just highlight it and put them on stage whenever you can. Um, whenever maybe there's a, a speaking event that would come to me or a cool, a cool opportunity that would come to me just think like, Hey, could could someone else do this because uh, they should really get the, the time and the spotlight to shine. And I think when you do all those things together, your team, um, well, first of all, based on what I described, maybe I'm doing less work, but also as a sidekick, they, um, I think it builds trust with, with them that you're using them as a trusted partner and not as a cog in your own personal system. Right. And you're you're highlighting and amplifying, ensuring that you, the, your individual contributors on your team are successful, right? Which which in turns makes makes you a successful manager, which is great. Um, and I love that that take on both the IC perspective and what they can do to build trust with their managers, as well as the, those points about what managers can do to 
to build that trust within their team. So I, I think that's great. In terms of just one of the, the final questions that I think we had around uh, making a great SE manager, Liz, what, what would you say are some things that might not be on the how to be a great manager guide, and I'm using air quotes here, that you might like to add? Yeah. Uh, it's so, okay, so in the world of right now, this has become extra important, and right now being the, the pandemic, and also in, if, if you're, I guess it's around the world now, but in New York and in the U.S., just some of the I don't know, situation going on with, with race and George Floyd and how that's affecting everybody. But the answer yeah. here, I would say, is just empathy. So empathy in a small way and empathy in a big way. And so in a big way right now could be if, if my folks have kids or maybe their parents are sick or maybe they are really affected by, I mean, they're an extrovert and they're really affected or they live in a studio in New York all by themselves. Like they are not going to be able to focus in the same way. And, and we as managers need to be super empathetic to the unique circumstances that, that everyone finds themselves in. Right. Um, but I would even, even, you know, when the world was a little more normal, um, empathy in the small ways, don't shoot them a ping that just says hi and then, freak them out for five minutes like oh the, the don't, cliffhanger don't, highs no no like subjectless agendaless scary meetings on calendar yeah. so just respecting a little bit more of um how you're coming across to them i mean i'm not definitely not perfect at it but trying your best to, to really lead with empathy i think is doesn't always show up in books, but it's super important. Yeah, totally. And I, I love that perspective. Um, I want to. Never heard of hanger highs. <laughs> <laughs> I like that there's a name for it now. The, the cliffhangers. Yep, those are the worst. And every time someone does that, manager appear, I, my heart just starts racing. And I don't know why, because I, I guess it's the anticipation of like, what is this going to be about that I don't know? And yeah, it, same with the genderless meetings. That's so true. Uh, yes, agreed. In the, the final uh, kind of portion of this core topic, we want to circle back around to something we were touching on before, which is really around the AE and SE relationship and, and talking about some of the different personalities that you might encounter when working in a sales organization. And obviously sales has a stereotype for not always having the most humble individuals on the team. but um, being able to deal with these different personality types or even egos is something I uh, would love to know. How do you go about handling these different personalities, whether it's on the AE side or, or the SE side? Yeah, you know, I feel really lucky with the group that we have that, yes, people have egos for sure, but it usually works out because usually the the sales engineer's ego has to do with the technical solution. And usually the AE's ego is quite willing to entertain that. It makes their lives a little bit easier. So I find we're really fortunate in our general working relationship, which is great. Um, no one likes it when things get tense. But that said, like, there are definitely 
challenges that come up. And I think probably the most important prevention mechanism for that is, is boundaries and setting really clear lines in the sand versus lines in stone, because the line can always be adjusted when an expectation is, is demanding it. But, mm. but if, you, if you tell an AE, like, here's my job, here's what I do, here's what I don't do, and you set that boundary clearly, I usually find that that's, that really calms is the missing piece. And that's, that's mostly my job, I would say, but um, reinforcing it throughout the rest of the team. Um, let's see. I, and then, you know, one other tip that I would say I encourage my team to do is, is building a culture of feedback because I, I found a lot of times the word feedback is usually meaning negative feedback. And so after every meeting to, to do the one up, one down, or to make sure that, um, if you if you're going to give negative feedback, maybe you can do what I would call the long-term compliment sandwich, which is don't do it in the same session because they know it's coming, they can smell it from a mile away. So like space out, space it out over the course of the month so it doesn't seem so calculated. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I definitely think like calling out positive feedback is a really strong way to get people to react better to your constructive feedback. Yeah, that's really great advice. I completely agree with the, the feedback. One thing we've used at Slack that I was pretty new to is like start, stop, continue, where it's highlight like start doing this, uh, stop doing this, and then continue doing this. So it uh, just provides a, a nice framework to, to talk about these things. I would I like love that. to yeah dive a little deeper though about uh, the culture feedback you're talking about. Is there anything that that you do to foster that or that you can do to kind of create that lever and, and build that feedback, that culture of feedback into your team? Yeah, I, um, maybe three, three points. Let's see if I remember them all. Firstly, when we get a new sales engineer and we, we give them a warm, warm welcome blanket for three months, it's, they get kind of drilled with feedback. Um, we do tons of pitch practice and practice sessions, and they they come to expect the feedback. And so I think it, if we can give them that feedback template and that expectation that it's coming, I think it helps them parrot it back when it's time for them to give feedback to somebody else. Hmm. So that's that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is when you're a brand new, you know, person to the team, it might be scarier to give feedback. Uh, to a salesperson. So the, I would, if you're listening and you're a manager, I would, I would task your most seasoned sales engineers to that, task them as part of their core expectations that it is their job to give feedback so mm -hmm. that it empowers them to do it. And it's not even a it's not necessarily even a question like they're missing them the mark if they don't do it and if you are a seasoned sales engineer like i think you should expect that out of yourself especially because a lot of times you do carry a, a unique perspective you see multiple salespeople, and you can mm -hmm. you know help them out by giving them the feedback um and then lastly i would just say like feedback being clear Clear is kind. Some someone famous probably I think said that one. But be specific, be timely, give examples, make it clear. Um, and I think 
I think that really just helps all around. Wow, that, those are some, those are really good points, especially that lever of kind of making it part of your job and, and an expectation uh, and, and just creating, you know, if you do it in a way that it's uh, for the shared growth of, you know, the team and the individual. Well, Liz, uh, that really wraps up the, the core episode topic. And I, I got to say, I thought your answers to a lot of these questions were so insightful and, and so full of, yeah, I felt like I was nodding my head and learning and blown away by your answers. So just want to want to thank you for sharing your perspective around managing SEs and great SE teams. And moving to the, the final section, just uh, rapid fire questions, just questions we ask to every guest. Uh, what's one book that has greatly influenced your professional or personal life? Yeah, yeah, I knew this one was coming. Um, <laughs> I, dude, I read trash novels, like I read, Tell, tell me about, about a, trash, a trash novel that's influenced your life. Oh my gosh. Well, okay, this one I wouldn't call trash, but like just to give you an example, probably the best caliber book I've read in the last 20 years is Harry Potter. And mm. I'll say reading is a huge guilty pleasure of mine, these trash novels. And I think I hated reading in school until I read Harry Potter. So I, I want to say thank you. I know J.K. Rowling's going to listen to this, so thank you for developing my love of reading because sometimes it, those school books we had to read just really put me off of it. So thanks, mm. thanks to Harry Potter. Um, but one of the ones I'm going to send you guys this link if you if you feel so inclined to post it on the episode page. But my old colleague, his name's Matt. He sent me this um, declassified. CIA manual of how to, it's from like 1940, early 1940s, how to sabotage the enemy. Whoa. And um, there's this one section towards the end about how to do organizational sabotage. And that has probably at least been, you know, maybe not a great impact, but a great hilarious read that I would recommend any tech person to read because <laughs> Some of them hit way too close to home. It's like, hey, um, make sure every decision is made by committing more than five people. Um, it's kind of some of the mistakes I find that startup tech companies and fledgling departments of Google sometimes make on accident. So I'm going to send this to you <laughs> if you want to read some lulls. It's, it's a pretty cool uh, manual. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll have to include that in the show notes. So I'm, I'm just imagining like just some some Google Drive link with this sketchy like PDF file from a 1940s CIA manual. So I'm, I'm excited to check that out. And it sounds like there's some good oh laughs God. in there. <laughs> it won't disappoint you, Connor. It's like, even the, the like font they use, it looks old and it's a scanned notebook. It's hilarious. I'm definitely going to send it to you. Uh, that's awesome. L looking forward to checking that out. Um, the, the last two questions that we had for the rapid fire questions are one, What's the worst professional advice that you've ever been given? Yeah. Um, all right. So I would, this one goes out. I, I'm speaking a lot to my female sales engineers, but also guys too, probably you. But I got this advice, which is probably one of the best piece of, pieces of advice I've gotten from an old manager of mine that 
when you're reading a job rec, and it, let's just imagine it has 10 specs that you need to hit, five years experience in this, SQL skills, Python skills, sometimes women tend to look at that and say, oh, I've got, you know, I've got nine out of 10, I, I think I can apply to the job. And um, sometimes dudes might look at that and say, I've got three out of 10 of them, like I'm super qualified for the job. And um, that piece of advice I got in a women at forum really stuck out to me. Mm. And I, it resonated and I was like, yeah, okay, I, I should apply for these roles that maybe I'm only half, I meet half of them because that's what everyone else is doing. But the worst advice is, is advice I give myself because even knowing that I've since even like the last year looked at a job rack and not applied because I, I thought there's no way they would even consider me. And so I would say the worst advice is the, the imposter syndrome advice that you might give yourself. And mm -hmm. maybe you can, um, I don't know, maybe if that, it, it's a hard one to fix because I, I even know that I'm doing it and I still do it anyways, but I definitely wish I could take my own advice and stop doing that. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that one's a, a huge one. And I, I love that encouragement piece to like, know that, you know, if, if you do have, meet some or most of the, the requirements, yeah, go for it. Apply for that role. That, that, that's a great uh, perspective. And, and I love the, the way you think about that. Um, you talked a little bit about the, the second rapid fire question, which is the best professional advice you've been given. So um, that, that was awesome to, to hear you kind of take both of those in, into one. So unless there was anything else, best professional advice that uh, you'd like to add on to that. I would say if I had, if I got the chance, I'm, I'm getting the airtime, I'm going to add one more in. Um, yeah. I would say this one comes across super games of Thronesy um, and maybe is like a Google, like a big company advice, but I would say follow, follow the money. <laughs> so what I mean by that is, is, you need to ask yourself as you're rising in your career, like where, where, what department is, is growing and what department is being prioritized by, by super senior executive leadership. Um, and if you want to, if you want that opportunity, like follow the money and follow the growth. And I say that because I keep track of our sales engineer alumni um, and it's such a diverse like alumni group. Like where do we go after we're done being sales engineers? Some people be sales engineering managers. Some people leave Google and do sales engineering somewhere else. Some, a lot of times we see people go into technical services or sales or learning and development, a million different places. But I would say if, if everyone has a different goal, but one of the things I was told by my one of my former managers is if you want to rise fastest, you need to follow the money. So hmm. putting that one out there in the world. Nice. I, I like that. Thanks for that. That second addition uh, to the best professional advice. So to wrap up the episode, uh, are there any uh, final remaining closing remarks that maybe we haven't talked about yet that we would like to? Hey, thanks guys for doing this because you asked me, I think a week ago, Alex, and I have, I've listened to all the podcasts in the meantime, and I learned so much from the other folks who've, who've been on the show. Um, in fact, I think her name was Kat 
taught me the word inquisitiveness, which has really been just rattling around in my mental cage for the last mm. week. So thanks guys for doing this. Like it's really like, I love the content. I'm so glad that you guys are growing the community. And then I'll also leave you at this point, Connor and Alex, you guys have amazing podcast voices. And I, I'm like, I think you guys were made to Thank do you. this. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Oh, that means a ton. What a great episode. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you and we hope this helps you learn and grow in your career as an SC and in your professional life. If you found this conversation as insightful as we did, please share the podcast with a teammate or your team. And let us know what you think by subscribing and rating wherever you listen. Finally, if there are any topics you'd like to hear about or speakers you think would be a great fit for the podcast, please use the email alias in the show notes to reach out to us. See you next time on The Edge of Sales Engineering.